Uh, welcome, welcome. I'm Bill. I'm one of the eight pastors here. And uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Romans. So we're going a whole year through the book of Romans. And if you miss any messages, you can catch them online. They're video. We have them online. Um, I'd like to start this message by saying this. My wife is a pit bull. Let me rephrase that. My wife is like a pit bull. And um, you know I asked her for permission to say that. She's watching online. Honey, love you. You're not a dog at all. You know, my wife does announcements. She's so sweet. But when she is engaged in something she deems important, then she is like a pit bull. And she won't let go. I can be more laissez-faire and say, oh, you know, oh, well, we just can't. It's just not going to happen, or we just got bad food, or it's just what it is. And she's like, no, we're going to, I'm going to deal with this. I always say, as long as you're doing the talking, I'm just going to sit over here. You can do it. Whether it's something to do with our kids and school or the airlines that messed up or medical billing. She's always on the phone with medical billing or a grocery store that overcharged. She's tenacious. She is passionate, but she's always nice. She's always sweet. And the reason she's passionate, she wants to make sure they understand what happened, understand the issue, that this is important to her and it should be important to them. She wants them to get it right, whatever they don't understand, to get it right. So she doesn't let go. Last Sunday night, uh, a week ago, my wife was sick. She had a bad sinus infection, couldn't even come to church all weekend. So she was at home. I'd had a long week, long weekend, and it was Sunday night. And uh, we have a, a date fund where there's, I have a little bit, we put cash in an envelope every week and it was built up, burning a hole in my pocket. And I said, let's just do something. She said, let's not cook a meal tonight. Let's go, let's order out. We like to order out to Outback Steakhouse because it's close by. It's brilliant. You call it in, you just go pick it up. There's no tip, there's no drinks. You just bring it home. And it's always been so good for us. We don't do it that often, but it's like, yes, let's do that. So we ordered, and I went and picked it up, brought it home, and uh, it was less than ideal. It was disappointing, underwhelming. Uh, the, the meat, I, I know, first world problems, but the meat was super fatty. It was cold. They'd forgotten a couple of our sides, and I'm like, oh, well, at least, you know, it's, eat, it's edible. And my wife's like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm calling the manager, and we're going to get a free meal out of this, is what she told me. I said, fine, go ahead. And uh, you know what? She called the manager. I could hear her talking, and she is sweet, and she is kind, and she explained that, man, we look forward to this because we don't do that often. It's always been so good. Outback has always been so good. So she was doing the tug-of-war with Outback Steakhouse, <laughs> and the manager was a really good manager, and he owned it, and he just said, I'm so sorry, and, and uh, what can we do for you? We'll remake it right now if we want, but we'd already eaten it, and it was, you know, just kind of... Whatever. And, and so really what ended up happening was he said, I got your name on a list. And by the way, thank you for being so nice about it. Because my wife really is nice about it. But she, she wasn't going to let go. And the guy said, now your name's on this list. You can come in anytime you want. And you, can, you guys can order anything on the menu. And I mean anything on the menu. So we got a free meal out of that. Because my wife is a pit bull. Okay? <laughs> Not only that. What's the point of this? There's a point. The apostle, the apo segue, the apostle Paul is a spiritual pit bull. 
especially when it comes to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that our justification is not by works. It's not by works of the law. It's by faith. So last week, all of chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham. And that's what Caleb talked about last week. You should listen to that. He's going to continue all the way through chapter 4 today. We'll finish chapter 4 talking about this idea of Abraham's example of faith and how we should follow his example. That's what I call the message, Abraham's faith. We'll look at that today. If we look at just a definition, this is one definition. I like it. A biblical definition of faith is unwavering trust in God. Um, Hebrews 1 says it this way. Now, faith is confidence uh, in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So today, well, actually, and then one quote that Caleb had last week, and I liked it. Faith is not believing that God can, but that God, he will. That's faith. I love that quote. Today in this message, we're going to learn how Abraham clung to, like a pit bull, faith, even though his circumstances, humanly speaking, were hopeless. And Paul's going to speak about that and teach us so that we can follow his example. Abraham, the father of our faith, we can follow his example. So my prayer tonight is that we learn from Abraham. We learn from him so that we can follow his example of faith in our lives. Okay? So that's what we're going to look. We're going to look at three uh, facets of Abraham's faith. I'm going to break it into three sections. Abraham's faith explained, Abraham's faith examined, and Abraham's faith experienced. So let's pray. Ask God to help us. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you so much that we have an example like Abraham and that Paul is a pit bull. He's not going to let go of Abraham. He wants us to get it because he wants to make sure we understand this important issue. He wants us to get it right. So he's not going to let go until we do. And I thank you for that. Would you help us be able to practically apply the things that we learned tonight about Abraham's faith for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you have some blanks you can follow along. Let's get to the first facet of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith explained. Verses 13 through 17 of chapter 4. <clears throat> I'll read verse 13. It, Paul says this, It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that came by faith. All right, so he starts off, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise. Now, Caleb talked about it last week. Paul is repeating it again for us. He doesn't want us to miss it. So pop quiz, do we get the promise of God through the law? No, we don't. Our righteousness does not come through the law. Our justification does not come through the law, through works of the law through works of righteousness it comes by faith that's what it says that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith the promise does not come through the law it comes by faith okay um, and we are heirs co-heirs really we know that Jesus is the only true heir of God but we are co-heirs with him it says that in Romans chapter 8 and we'll get to that in a, in a couple months um, but through adoption, and again, Paul talks about adoption in Romans 8 and 9, we have been adopted into his family. We are spiritual heirs we, of the promise that was made to Abraham. We are spiritual children of Abraham. When God said, you're going to have 
descendants that outnumber the stars, that's us. That's who we are. We're co-heirs with Christ through adoption. Next couple of verses, Romans 14 and 15. He says this, For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value. And the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. Very interesting. Um, For if those who live by the law are heirs, in other words, if you can earn your salvation, if you can be justified by the works that you do, or you're following a list, whether you think it's God's list or not, or you're following the creeds of some church, or you're in the right church, or you read your Bible enough and you get baptized, then you are an heir of God, you're a child of God because of that, Paul says, well, faith has no value. It's worthless. What's the point of faith? And let me just ask you this way. If you can earn your way, like some churches, like most churches, like 95% of, if you do a survey, world religions will tell you it's, it's based on what you do, whether you get to heaven or not. If that's true, why on earth did Jesus die? If you can do it on your own, what did you need? What do we need Jesus for? Why do we need Jesus to die for us if we can just do it ourselves? Just pull ourselves up. The reason is because we can't do it ourselves. And Jesus knew that. And that's what Paul's saying. It's worthless if we can just do it ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves. And then he talks about the law, how the law brings wrath. You know what the law is good for? You know what, if, you, if you're believing that somehow it's dependent on you, then you are, Paul says, looking forward to wrath then, because you can't do it. You'll never make it. The law is only good to bring wrath. It's only good for wrath. And then he says, where there's no law, there's no transgression. And, and the purpose of the law, we know this from other verses, the purpose of the law is to show us, like a mirror, like show us how bad we are. That's the purpose of the law, to show us that we are transgressors in God's sight. And that's what the law does. When the law says, thou shalt not lie, and when we lie, it's like a mirror. We go, oh, no, I'm in trouble because I lie. It's like this. In my neighborhood, I live in a four-way intersection. We live in a corner. And for years, there was no stop sign in any of those corners. So you just, people just going through, and it was fine. People go pretty slow usually. But one night in the morning, we woke up, and all of a sudden there was a stop sign on two of the, two of the corners. And so all of a sudden, what we were doing yesterday is now illegal, and we could get fined for it. We could get a ticket for doing something that we've been doing for years, and we never knew it was illegal. But then the stop signs went up, and all of a sudden... I see, oh, I can't do this anymore. That's what the law does. Oh, I shouldn't dishonor my parents. Oh, I shouldn't steal. Oh, I shouldn't lie. That's what the law does. Now, so Paul says, if there is no law, then there is no transgression. The day before, there was no transgression. As soon as the stop sign went up, boom, I could get a ticket. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. This is a big deal. In fact, Martin Luther has some pretty strong words. I think he was kind of fired up when he said this. I like this quote. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. I mean, he was fired up. Calm down, Martin. 
But he's right. He's fired up like Paul's fired up. Uh, Thinking that somehow you or I could earn my way to heaven or, or have anything to do with my salvation, with my justification, being right before a holy God is like you being on an airplane and you're, it's taken off and, and you're thinking, I got to do something to get to my destination. I can't just trust the pilot or the plane. I've got to do something. So you're sitting in your seat, plane goes down the runway and you start, I got to do my part. I got to do something. And the guy next to you is like, what are you doing? I got to do my part. You should do your part too. Quick, hurry, do it, work hard. We got to head. And what you're doing really, all you're doing is looking silly and annoying people. And if you think somehow you can add to your salvation by your good works, I'm just telling, some, telling you something. You look silly and you're just annoying the people around you. You have nothing to do with it. In fact, as I thought about this, do you realize how much faith it takes to get on a plane like that? You know how much they weigh? A lot. And they're metal. And you get on that and you trust the pilot to get that thing up in the air? That takes faith. And we don't even think about it anymore. And in the same way, we need to trust God to get us to our destination, to heaven. We trust him. And and there's nothing we can do to add to it. All of our work won't add to it. So when you're on the plane and you're trusting the pilot, you're trusting the aerospace engineers that designed the plane, you can sit and relax because we can have faith in them. They did a good job. Now, once you're on the plane and, and the pilot and the plane are getting you to your destination, if you want to get up and give people a cup of cold water and maybe some snacks... Maybe comfort somebody with a pillow. You know, that's okay. But understand this. All those good works add nothing to getting you to your destination. Nothing. When you trust in Jesus, it's fine to do good works, but don't get confused thinking my good works are what's going to get me there. No, the pilot is Jesus, and he's going to get you there. If you're trusting in him, you got to trust in him and not yourself, okay? So... The promise comes by grace through faith. It is not through the law. Verse 16 and 17. Therefore, Paul continues, the promise comes by faith. What does the promise come by? Faith, not law, not works, so that it may be by grace, unmerited favor, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings. That's you and me. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. That's Genesis 17. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Here's a big picture point that you need to understand is that Abraham didn't trust in the promise. He trusted in the promise giver. The object of our faith is not our faith or not us praying a prayer. The object of our faith is Jesus. And Abraham trusted in God. And the reason he could trust in God, because he knew God could give life to things that are dead. Only God can do that. And Abraham said, I I trust this God, that, that my salvation, the promise that he made to me will come true because of who he is the object of our faith. 
And he understood that there's nothing that's too difficult for God. And we need to believe that as well. Um, but there was a little slip up. We know that Sarah, uh, when three angels came to Abraham and said, Abraham, by this time next year, you and Sarah are going to physically have a child together. Um, Sarah was in the tent. And what did she do? She laughed. She, she's like, this is ridiculous because at this point she was 90 years old and he was 100. And she laughed. She's like, I can't. This is, this is too crazy. Even God can't do this. My body's dead. And she was thinking that. And we can understand that. We don't blame her necessarily, right? I mean, but what's, what I love about this, the verses is that the angels heard her and turned to Abraham and said, why did, Abraham, why did your wife just laugh? And this is what's funny. If I just started picturing, and she yells out the tent, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and the angels looked back and said, yes, you did laugh. And then I wonder if it went on like, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. She had a little bit of a doubt, which we understand. But Abraham understood that God can do anything. And that God was going to fulfill his promise. And the promise wasn't even dependent on whether Sarah... Believe God completely in the promise. They trusted the promise giver. Abraham, in particular, trusted the promise giver. You know, I pray for people. I have a prayer list, and I pray for a lot of people. And some of the situations I'm praying for, whether it's someone's salvation or their health or things they're going through, some of those things seem pretty impossible to me. But I'll pray for years for people. Sometimes I think this guy will never, he, he hates God so much, he'll never get saved. And I think that, and I could almost be like Sarah, and I laugh. But I keep praying because I believe God is big enough. That, I, I, I don't look at how bad that person, I look and say, God, you're able to save the Apostle Paul, you can save this person. And I've seen him do things like that. Or you can heal this person, even though all the doctors and everyone says, it won't happen. We trust God. We trust God. So let me ask you, as we finish this section, are you trusting yourself or an all-powerful God? Are you making yourself look silly and irritating people around you by trying to do all your hard work so that you can make it to heaven when God says, you just got to trust me. Just trust me. I'll get you there. I'm powerful enough to get you there by faith. So that's the first Facet is Abraham's faith explained. Number two, Abraham's faith examined. Let's dig down a little deeper here in verse 18. It says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And that was told to him in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God could do anything. There's four points under this uh, subpoints under here. First one is Abraham believed God could do anything. Anything. It says, against all hope. There, there was no hope. He was 100 years old. His wife was 90. They've been trying for literally a century to have children. A century. And they couldn't have any. But against all hope. In hope. How can you have hope when there's no hope? Because God. We can have hope in a God who can do anything. It doesn't have to do with our bodies or our circumstances or anything else. It has to do with who the object of our hope is, who the object of our faith is. And Abraham had faith in God. 
I did a little internet search to find out. I'm just curious. I wonder what the world record is for the oldest woman to give birth. And it turns out there's a woman who was 73 years old in India in 2019, gave birth to twins. She, um, she had in vitro and she had a C-section, both of which were not available during Abraham's time. So Sarah, she gave birth naturally, which is crazy. And it's so crazy that um, their Instagram actually went viral when they had that. So, you know, 100 years old, that's a big deal. So they posted that right away. <laughs> Let me just ask you simply in this section, what in your, in your life seems hopeless? Now, stop and think about it because we can feel, I can feel that way. I don't know if you can. At times, like this, this is never going to happen. Whether, maybe some of you are, are, are struggling with this very thing, trying to have children, and that is so difficult. And you think, are we ever going to have children? Maybe it's your marriage is under stress right now. Maybe you have addictions that you just think, I'll never be able to break this because our flesh is so strong. Maybe your kids are strained. You think, will they ever follow the Lord again? Maybe it's your health or your finances, so many things. Where do you feel hopeless? Can I just share with you that we can in hope believe because of our God? Not because of the circumstances, but because of our God. Amen? So Abraham believed God could do anything. Number two, Abraham believed circumstances aren't everything. That we don't put too much stock in our circumstances. He sa- it says this about Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. That's very important. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And I love this. Um, I love the fact that he didn't weaken in his faith, again, because his faith wasn't in his body and how it functioned, or his wife's body. It was in God Almighty who can do anything he wants. He can even bring dead things to life. And he believed that. But it says he faced the fact. He, faced, he didn't deny it. He didn't just say, no, I, I'm sure, I, you know, I, I can have kids. I'm 100 years old, I'm sure. No, um, you know, denial, it's not just some river in Egypt. You know that, don't you? I don't think God wants us to deny things. I think he wants to hit things straight on and acknowledge when a situation or a circumstance looks impossible. It's okay just to admit that, but we don't stop there. God, this this is impossible. How could this ever happen? Abraham, how could I ever have a child at 100 years old? My wife's womb is dead. How can that happen? It says, without weakening, he faced the fact. He admitted it. He didn't, wasn't in denial saying, oh, I'm sure I'll, I'll just get the energy or whatever. No, he said, no, I know this is impossible. And, and you may be in a situation like that right now. You know something's impossible. Face it. Acknowledge it. Tell God that. But don't stop there. Go to the next step, which is but. This is impossible, but I'm not going to weaken in my faith because I trust you. Whatever you're going through. You know, I I think of King Jehoshaphat of Israel when he had a huge, overwhelming army that came against him. It it was more, there were more people against him. He couldn't even count them all, and they were all surrounding him. And the people saw this, and he saw this. And it's kind of like in in Lord of the Rings, you know, when they went to Helm's Deep and and all the, the... all those troops just surrounded, and it kind of felt like that. And the spiritual and political leader of that country, of Israel, 
King Jehoshaphat stood up in front of his people as their leader, and he prayed this out loud. He said, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, I don't think this is in any military manual. This is how you lead people with confidence. Yet there's a man that knew God and was not afraid to admit and not just deny. Oh, that's not that many people. Don't worry. It's not that many people. No, it's a vast army. He, he just acknowledged that this is a vast army and we have, we're powerless, God. I think God likes that when we're just honest with ourselves and with him. We just say, I can't do this, God. I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. But we don't stop there. Our eyes are on you. I pray that prayer so many times. God, I don't know what to do in this situation, but my eyes are on you. See the but? You need to make sure that's there. This is so difficult, God, but. But you, but you're in the equation, so I can, I can have hope. I don't have to weaken in my faith. Does that make sense? Let me ask you, what circumstances are weakening your faith right now? What is it you think, this is just impossible? I don't think I can have faith in this. Well, be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And put your trust in an all-powerful God. Don't give up on God. So that's the second thing. Abraham believed circumstances aren't everything. Number three, Abraham believed challenges are nothing to God. In Romans 4.20 it says, Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So Abraham acknowledged that there's, this is impossible. This will never happen without you, God. He didn't waver. And the Greek word there means to doubt or to hesitate. He didn't doubt or hesitate in unbelief. He didn't, land, he didn't stay in unbelief. He went past that and was strengthened in his face by turning to God, acknowledging you can do whatever you want. I trust you. These challenges that I had, they're nothing to you. That's how you strengthen your faith. You don't look at your circumstances. You look at God. And you don't get fearful when things are difficult. You look to God. Because fear is often what causes us to weaken in our faith when we're afraid. Again, I get that. I get that. Oswald Chambers said this, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. If you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Men and women, we don't need to fear when we have God with us, and he's on our side. We can trust him. He's big enough. Let me ask you this. This is a question God asked me as I was preparing. What promises has God given you that you need to believe or reclaim? Some of you have had promises in the past, but you've kind of, you're not thinking about them. You're not claiming them anymore. You've kind of given up. Maybe God wants you to go back to those promises you had and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to weaken in my faith. I'm going to trust you. For me, during the faith camp um, conference, God reminded me about some things I was teaching on identity, and some of those truths just hit my heart. Like, Bill, you need to reclaim and re-believe who you are in Christ that maybe you're more than what you've become. Maybe you should believe that you are a child of the king, that you all your sins are forgiven. And, and God challenged me with that, and I believe it. I've redoubled my efforts to reclaim the promises that God has given me. And he's given to you, by the way, as well. Okay? Now, here's the fourth thing that we know that Abraham had. When we examine his faith, Abraham believed God's promises mean something. 
Okay, first of all, uh, Abraham believed God could do anything. Second, Abraham believed circumstances aren't everything. Third, Abraham believed challenges are nothing. And finally, Abraham believed God's promises mean something. In verse 21, it says this. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. He was fully persuaded or convinced or satisfied or had peace that God had power to do what he promised. Do you believe that? The word dunamis in the Greek, power, God has power. And, and if we believe that, like Abraham, that God is powerful, then we too can be persuaded or convinced or satisfied. God is omnipotent. You've maybe heard that word before. The word is all, for all powerful. When we say God, we serve an omnipotent God, it means he's all powerful. All powerful. No one or nothing is more powerful. It comes from two Latin words, omnis meaning all and potens, which means power. He is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. In Genesis 18, it says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? What's the answer? Does that include your circumstances? It does. Mine too. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. He is stronger than nature. He's stronger than men. He's stronger than angels. He's stronger than addictions. He's stronger than your fears. He's stronger than your failures. He's stronger than the devil, and he's stronger than death. We can trust him. He is a big God. Now, how big is he? I'm glad you asked. Let me just show you some things here. And I'm not going through the whole thing. This is the shortened version, but just think about how big the earth is. And then think how big the sun is. The sun's a star. If you took the sun and hollowed it out like a pumpkin, scooped out the sun, and you started dropping little BB earths in there, you, you know how many it would take, how many of our planets it would take to fill the sun? 1.3 million earths to fill the sun. You think, well, the sun's got to be the biggest star in the universe. No, not even close. Largest known star is the V.Y. Canis Majoris compared to our sun there, if you can kind of see. If you hollowed out this star, V.Y. Canis Majoris, hollowed it out like a pumpkin and started dropping our suns inside of it. You know how many suns it would take to fill this star? It would take 6.4 times 10 to the 15th, that many suns. You go, I can't even comprehend that. I say, I know that. That's why I'm going to give you another way to, to, to have it comprehensive. Okay, so if you took one of our sons and dropped it into Canis Majoris every second, you know how long it would take to fill Canis Majoris with our huge sons? It would take 203 million years if you dropped one in every single second. And you know who made that star? God did, the one we worship. It says it right here. Psalm 36, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. How? By speaking. God just said a word in Canis Majoris. Boom. It came to be. Let everyone in the world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. That's why it's so important to believe that God is the creator of everything. I believe it. I love what Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician, said. He said, the greatest single distinguishing feature of the omnipotence of God is that our imagination gets lost 
when we think about it. <laughs> it's like we can't even comprehend how big he is yet. We don't think he's big enough to help us in our problems. Let me ask you a question. How big is your God in your brain? Do you realize how big he truly is? You can't even get your mind around it. Now, as we conclude, Paul the pit bull, he is, he is uh, in, in Romans, the word Abraham is found 12 times. Eight of those times are right here in Romans 4. So he's been a pit bull. He wants us to get this faith. This is not by the law. It's not by works. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. He wants us to get that, but now he wants to make it personal for you and I. He wants us to apply what we've learned. So he finishes chapter 4, and we're going to look at Abraham's faith and how it is made for us to experience as well. Okay? And that's what he talks about. In fact, you and I, we can experience God's righteousness According to these last few verses, let's just read these. In verse 22, it says, This is why it was credited to him, Abraham, as righteousness. The words, it was credited, credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for who? For us. That's why Paul was a pit bull. This is not just written about Abraham. It was written for us. And, and Caleb talked about what this means to have righteousness credited to us. You should listen to that. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over for death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We can be as righteous as God through faith. Not because we're righteous, but because God imputes his righteousness to us. You don't believe me? Here's 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us. He became sin. Jesus became sin in his very rarest form, sin, for us, so that in him, now that's very important, in Christ, as believers, we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great exchange. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness as believers. But you have to receive it. You have to receive it. You have to have a saving faith. So I talk to so many people who think they believe it, but it's just a head knowledge. Oh, Jesus is my Savior, but do you really believe that? Is it a saving faith, or are you just like saying, oh, Abraham Lincoln was a 16th president? Okay, so what? What does that do for you? Jesus is the Savior. Do you believe it? Are you trusting it? See, um, I want to give you one illustration. I'll give you the last blank. This, this, to me, is one of the best illustrations for what it means to have saving faith. The faith that Abraham had that clings to God. Okay, the great Blondin is a real person, and he, he's one of the best tightrope walkers known to man. And he was, one of the, he was the first one to walk across Niagara Falls, and he, got, he was so good, he would actually go back and forth across Niagara Falls. Big crowds would come, and he would take a wheelbarrow and go across. And he would go blindfolded, and he would go across. And he came to back and forth, and, and he would stop one time, and he asked the crowd, How many of you believe that I could put a man on my back and go back and forth safely? And they were like, You can do it, Blondin. You're awesome. I know you. If anybody can, you can. And he looked at him and smiled and said, who will volunteer? And the guy's like, I didn't put my hand up. 
And some people, according to the newspaper accounts, actually ran away because they thought they'd see their hand up and people would force him to get on the back of Blonda. So let me ask you, did they really believe? Who, who really believed? That guy right there. <laughs> that is the kind of faith you need to become a Christian. It can't be, oh, well, I, I think I can get across myself. You know, I, I'll do the best I can. I, I didn't sin that. I didn't fall that many times. You know, see, you can only fall once on this. Uh, I'm, I'm better than a lot of people. And I hear that all the time. Why do you think God should let you in heaven? Because I'm better than a lot of people. I, try, I, I tried my hardest, really. So you can try your hardest and you will die. So the only way to get across this at this point is to cling to Blondin. And I guarantee you there are fingernail marks in his pecs. You know, it's like, that guy is not moving. He's gripping on. This is what it means to trust in Christ. Not thinking, I'm going to try to get across it myself. I'm going to do my best. I don't want to bother Blondin. No, the only way you get across is you trust and cling to Jesus. You cling to him. So when I ask you, how do you know you're going to heaven? You don't say, because I'm a good person. You don't say, because I've never killed anybody. You don't say, well, I've tried my best. You don't say that because you die. You go to hell, if that's your answer. If this guy got across the other side and somebody said, how'd you get across Niagara Falls? I saw you on the other side. Do you think he's going to say, well, I'm pretty good. I'm better than most people. <laughs> no, he would say, blonde, and he's shaking. Blonde, and got me across. Talked to so many people that never mentioned Jesus. When I asked him, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Never mention Jesus. How could that be? How could you not mention Blondin if he got you across? That'd be your only answer. If you're a believer, that's your only answer. I can't get to heaven by myself. It's only through Jesus. I'm clinging to him. That's the answer. That's the answer Abraham had. And that's why Paul has been a pit bull trying to help us understand it. The real question is, do you truly believe? Believe. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe? Are you clinging? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Cling to Jesus, men and women. That's Paul's appeal to each one of us. Cling to Jesus in your difficult circumstances for your salvation in every area of life. Cling to Jesus. He's big enough to help you. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this time and thank you that we can cling to you. Thank you for the example of Abraham's faith. Thank you. He had such a good example. He trusted in you, and we want to trust in you. I pray for people that are here tonight that might not know you, that, that may think they're going to heaven, but they're not, because they're really trusting in their own good works. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and help them turn to you in faith and cling to you to get them across to heaven. And for those that have difficult circumstances, God, would they see that you are a big God and you are powerful and there's nothing, nothing, nothing too difficult for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.